Thanks for joining us for the special Mideast Prophecy Edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. shares the Mideast Prophecy Update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. It's so easy to get caught up in our fears and anxieties, especially during this current pandemic. But Pastor J.D. reminds us today that we can have hope in the Lord. He encourages us by recalling scripture that says the battle belongs to God. Remember, God has already won the war, so what's a little battle to him? Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on August 1st, 2021. Today's update is a message of hope. And I want to share with you a promise from God's Word as to why it is that we should not be afraid. We should never fear. We should never be discouraged. We continue to receive voluminous prayer requests from people, both locally and online as well, who are really struggling, very fearful, full of fear and riddled with anxiety concerning all that is happening and all (laughs) that is now coming against us. It seems that with each passing day, it's getting worse and worse. That's almost not hyperbole. I wish it was. But it is having this effect of filling many people with anxiety and fear, and this need not be. It's my hope and my prayer that all of us, myself included, by the way, I know I've shared very candidly, very openly with you how I do struggle with anxiety and fear. And uh, I am walking in victory, but it's still a struggle for me. This is kind of my default. I'm very prone to worry. Uh, I am a worrier. God has done a profound work in my life. But actually, I have a PhD. I don't know if you knew that or not. Don't call me Dr. Farag, but I have a PhD in worry. So (laughs) I know what I'm talking about when it comes to worry. (laughs) But today's uh, update is a message of encouragement. And I pray that it brings with it renewed hope in the face of this threatening uncertainty. And certainly it is threatening, and certainly it is an uncertainty. You can be certain of the uncertainty. (laughs) In order to do that, I'll kindly ask that you join me in the book of Second Chronicles and the 20th chapter. This chapter, in God's Word, God has used in my life over the years through some very difficult times, and um, has used it in a powerful way during those times. And I really would like to share with you 
that which I believe the Lord has for us today. Let me give you a real quick backstory of what's happening and what's going down here. So King Jehoshaphat, a good king, one of only eight in Judah, uh, that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. All the other kings, particularly in uh, the northern tribes of Israel, all did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. There were only eight good kings, of which it was said they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and King Jehoshaphat is one of them. So he has just received word of this threat of a vast army that is coming against them in great numbers, from all sides, and in every direction. So we pick it up in verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Stop right there. You know, there's something to be said about those times where it's not just prayer, but prayer and fasting. I think about Jesus when He was asked by the disciples about why they were unable to cast this demon out of this boy, he very explicitly said, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. And sometimes it takes both. Both prayer and fasting are a humbling of oneself before the Lord, surrendering oneself to the Lord, completely relying upon the Lord. That's what praying and fasting is and does. So, verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, this is his prayer now as he's crying out to the Lord, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, verse 7, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? They have lived in it, and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, or plague, or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of 
the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Wow, that's the best way to pray. Lord, you know the threat against us. You know what's coming against us. We don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. Dare I say, this is music to the ears of Almighty God. He longs to hear that. I almost, and you'll forgive the silliness with which I illustrate this, but I almost picture God in heaven saying, wait, stop. Did, did you really just say that and pray that? Yeah. Did you, did you just say you don't know what to do? Yeah. Did you just pray that your eyes are on me? Yeah. <laughs> Watch me now. It's a scary place to be, but it's the best place to be. This is what Jehoshaphat prays. And then, after he cries out to the Lord, this is important, he has all the men, along with their wives and even their children, to stand before the Lord to hear the word of the Lord. Listen, parents, it is so important. I think we do err greatly when we do not involve our children during those times when we're seeking the Lord, so that they can witness firsthand what God will do. They need to see it. I mean, we can try to teach them, and certainly we need to teach them and train them in the ways of the Lord, the fear and the admonition of the Lord. But here's the thing, as one so aptly put it, it's not so much what's taught as much as it is what's caught. I think it's so important for children to watch their parents pray. Let me say it this way, I hope this doesn't jam anybody's gears, but I think our kids need to catch us in the act of praying. They need to walk in on us, on our face, praying to the Lord. Because see, this is what that teaches them. This is what you do when adversity strikes. This is what you do when you don't know what to do. You cry out to the Lord. Oh, this is how mom and dad deal with conflict and adversity and problems and trials and pain and suffering. That's what you teach them. So all of the children, all of the families, imagine this scene now. They're all there waiting with bated breath to hear what the Lord is going to say to them concerning this vast army that is coming against them. And here's what's interesting. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon a Levite by the name of Jehaziel, the Spirit of the Lord does not come upon a prophet, which you would think He would, but He doesn't. Why is that important? 
because sometimes God will speak into your life through someone you don't think He will speak into your life through. Let me try that again. I'll say the same thing in a different way. Here you are looking for the Levite, the priestly service in the temple, the tabernacle prior. And you fully expect that it's going to come from a prophet and not a Levite, but instead it comes through this guy by the Jehaziel. He's got a word from the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord. Him? No way. Way. Maybe what I'm trying to say is, be very careful when it comes to this, because God may use a Jehaziel someone you would never think to have the Spirit of the Lord come upon to speak into your life. Don't dismiss it, and don't dismiss them. So what does he say? Verse 15, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. And here's why. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Really? Yeah. Well then, I've got nothing to worry about. Exactly. I don't need to be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, this threat against me, because God is going to fight the battle for me. Where do I sign? (laughs) You don't need to sign. He already signed it in His blood. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. I believe that this is what the Spirit is saying to the church today, this battle belongs to the Lord. Now, that's not to say that there aren't those times when God will have us to fight the battle in order to gain the victory. There are numerous accounts of the Israelites having to go into battle in order to possess the promised land that God had given them. However, The victory will always come as a result of crying out to the Lord and even beginning to sing and praise the Lord in advance. Stay with me, because that's what they do. We pick it up in verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His love endures forever. Wait a minute. 
They haven't got the victory yet. They're already thanking God. They're already giving God the glory. They haven't been delivered yet. They haven't been given the victory yet. No, that's the whole point. Listen to verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. When? When they began to sing and praise the Lord in advance? Again, you'll forgive the illustration. It's the best I got. If you got a better one, let me know afterwards. But I just imagine God in heaven when we do this, going, wait, shh, you guys, quiet. Are they really singing and praising me and thanking me for the victory that I haven't even given them yet? (laughs) Watch me now. Watch me now. See, that's called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. They haven't seen it. They have not been yet given it, but they believe by faith and they have evidence. That's a very strong word. Can I add forensic evidence by faith that God will do what He said He will do? So they praise Him before the victory. And I'll add, when they began to sing and praise Him, that is when the victory came. I want to uh, bring up the Red Sea experience. I think there's a, another takeaway here from that experience. So you've got the Israelites, right? They have just been delivered miraculously, times ten, out of slavery in Egypt. And that tenth plague was (laughs) particularly intense because it involved the death of the firstborn son, unless you had the blood of an innocent lamb found to be without spot or blemish after inspecting it for four days, the number of days that Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Passover lamb, was on trial and found to be without sin, without blemish. And then the Israelites were told to slay that lamb at a particular and specific hour and time, which was the exact hour and time that Jesus was crucified. And they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to put it on the doorposts of their house. And they would put it on the top. There was a basin down below and on each side in the shape of a cross, by the way, so that when the angel of death came, it would pass over them. Why? Because they had the blood of the Lamb. You see that picture? You see that prophecy? You connect those dots, right? Now they have just experienced that, and all of the other things that God did prior, all of the nine plagues, they saw that, they witnessed that. And then here's the tenth plague, and then they are able to leave the slavery there in Egypt because God delivered them out of Egypt. And I mean they're rejoicing and praising God and, oh, it's easy to praise God after. And then all of a sudden they find themselves at this place called the Red Sea. Not the Reed Sea. I love it when, you know, these so-called experts, Bible critics, say, well, that was a phenomenon, 
known in that day and at that time and in that area, where high winds would come up. It's very shallow there. There's a land crossing, and that's how they were able to cross. There's no miracle here, to which I would say, really? That's even a bigger miracle, because we're told that God drowned the Egyptians in that shallow water you were saying wasn't a miracle. I love it when God does that that way, so there's no mistaking. So here they are, they have just been delivered out of Egypt, and now they come to the Red Sea. And what do they do? Don't be too hard on them, because they did what you and I would do if we were there. I think it's so easy for us to think and fancy ourselves as, oh, I would never do that, man. If I was delivered out of slavery in Egypt, the way God delivered them, and I got to the Red Sea, I wouldn't complain and murmur. Oh, yes, you would. You'd be right at the front of the line behind me, because I'd be right there. <laughs> the murmuring and the complaining is like this. Oh, were there not enough graves in Egypt that God had to bring us out here to kill us? <laughs> now, at that point, if I'm God, and this is just the beginning, by the way. Well, that's why I'm not God. I'm not even going to bother, because I would have just said, okay, have it your way. You really think of me like that? That I would go through all that, deliver you, and then kill you? You really think that? Apparently they did. So God says to Moses, I want you to take your rod, and I'm going to part this Red Sea, and there's going to be walls on each side, and there's going to be dry ground. And if I'm one of the Israelites, I'm thinking to myself, I think God wants us to go this way. This is pretty clear. I call it Red Sea clear. Because see, the problem is I got the Egyptians right behind me, and God is keeping them away by way of a pillar of fire. And I got the Red Sea in front of me, and I'm looking at this situation, this scenario, and I don't know what to do, because this way I'm killed by the Egyptians. This way I'm drowned in the Red Sea. Well, maybe God has a different way. What a novel idea. God's ways are not our ways. I mean, here we are thinking it's got to be either or, and God's like, how about neither? <laughs> ah, Lord, open this door. I don't want to use a door. I want to use a window. In fact, I don't even need a window. I'll come through a wall if I want. So they walk across dry ground, and the Egyptians, in hot pursuit, once every Israelite had crossed, and then he brings the water down, and he drowns them. Now they're on the other side of the Red Sea, having just witnessed yet another miracle to add to their miracles. And now they start singing. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, you weren't saying that on the other side. You were accusing him of wanting to kill you. You weren't singing then. Oh, it's easy to sing on the other side. Thanks for joining us for this special Mid-East Prophecy Update edition of In Spirit and Truth. We understand how important it is to know what God's Word says, especially in our world today. 
All around us, we see violence and despair running seemingly unchecked. We do what we can to alleviate these crises we encounter, but all the while, we know evil is waiting right around the corner. The Bible tells us that Jesus will return one day and finally wipe the enemy's influence from the face of the earth forever. This event is closer than we may think, and it's important to know what to expect. The prophecies we read in the Bible can be confusing, but they do provide us with clues as to what we'll see unfolding in our world as we near the return of our King. Each week in the Mideast Prophecy Update, Pastor J.D. takes a look at the current events happening around the globe and holds them up to the lens of God's Word. He shares what God reveals to him with you each week. This information is not meant to scare you, but rather to inspire you to take the gospel message out into the world. Every person needs to have the chance to meet Jesus before he returns and to know what his love and grace can do for them. These Mid-East Prophecy Updates are available to you on our YouTube channel as well or through our mobile app. Visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com to find links to both. Thanks for listening today and be sure to join us for the next update right here on In Spirit and Truth.